Gracious Father, we come tonight again to these, uh, this book we call uh, Malachi. And uh, again, Lord, it's so easy to just look at a text like tonight and say, well, God's talking about somebody else. He's clearly not talking to me. And yet we know that's not how your word works. We're not in Appendix A of the Bible. We are in the Bible. And thus, you are speaking to us. So open our hearts and minds to that truth. And at times, I know it can feel, Lord, harsh to us, what you've said through Malachi. And yet there's so much for us to learn through his instruction, his rebuke, um, or your rebuke through him, of what was going on in his day. So again, speak to us through your word. And let us process and take it to heart. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right. We are in Malachi, chapter 2. Eric last week opened us up with Malachi and covered those uh, critical points uh, as background and then did a really nice job on chapter 1. Chapter 2 really builds off of chapter 1. In fact, um, in some ways, chapter, the first part of chapter 2 is part 2 to the second part of chapter 1. Did you follow that? that was, yeah, I know. That was pretty smooth. It took me most of the day to come up with that one. Yeah, it was one of those days. Um, so, as we come, let's, let's look at what we're, um, we're going to be covering here as we open up in chapter 2 of Malachi. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them because you did not lay it uh, to heart. Let's just, just open up a little bit here and, and, and see what we're talking about. We're talking about the priests, and yet we're very quickly going to be seeing another name, <clears throat> and that name is of Levi. And so we've got to figure out uh, what it is that uh, this grouping is. And so to understand, we have to, excuse me, we have to understand the relationship between the Levites and the priests. The Levites were one of the tribes, okay, so Levi was one of the offspring of Jacob, so one of the, the 12 sons. And so Levi and the Levites that came for him um, had a history, and out of that tribe came the priests. So Levi himself didn't distinguish himself very well. If you go back to the beginning, um, he was one of the two sons that took vengeance and brought a bad name onto the name of Jacob and all that, that was in Genesis. But by the time we get to Exodus, and what really differentiates themselves is when uh, Moses, who was an Aaron from the Levite tribe, goes up to the mountain to get the, the law, um, the Ten Commandments essentially is what we see it as, is the tablets. And he comes down and Aaron's made a, a, a calf and they're worshiping the calf and he's going, what, you know, I... I was gone for a minute and a half. Okay, it was a lot longer than that. But what happened? Why did you go astray? And the wrath of God's kind of come down. And, and Moses comes and stands and says, all those 
essentially that are on the side of God, come over here. And the tribe of Levi came in mass over here, and he said, okay, purify those, or purify the, the tribe or the nation of Israel by killing those that had uh, refused uh, to repent from their crime of worshiping this golden calf. So the Levites killed about 3,000, and they uh, restored the honor to God's name, and so they became a special tribe in God's eyes. And all that's in Exodus uh, 32. And then they are chosen to uh, be the bearers of the ark. And then in, in Deuteronomy 10, in fact, I'm going to read Deuteronomy 10 as we really see how the Levites, Levites um, really a thought of, um, what order does that go in again? Genesis, Exodus, yeah. Just kidding. So in Deuteronomy 10, 8, 9, it says this. I got so much underlined in Deuteronomy. At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Remember the Ark where the Ten Commandments were? Okay. So the Ark, to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless in his name to this day. Therefore, Levi has no portion or inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, as the Lord your God said to him. So Levi set aside to be um, servants of God. Uh, did a number of duties. We're going to be looking at that. Um, but they were bearers of the tabernacle, bearers of the ark. But when it came to get a uh, land, they didn't get any land. They were a non-landed tribe, so they didn't get any of the land because they were taken care of by the offerings that people came with. So you're going to see this in a second. How critical is it? So Levi survived by when the offering came, depending on the offering, they got to take some of the meat and actually eat it or some of the grain and consume it. So this was all part of how they were provided for through this offering system. And as you saw last week, that offering system wasn't going too great. And now we're going to see what God's going to say about that. So that's the Levites. And then inside the Levites came the priesthood. I wish I could go, well, here in the Bible, right here in whatever, 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 it talks about how the Levites, out of that got created the priests, but we don't really have that. They just kind of are there as part of the Levitical tribe. It comes out of Aaron being the first priest or high priest, and he's from that tribe as, as his brother Moses was, and then it delineated down from there. So when we talk about priests, we're talking about a subset. We don't actually know what percentage of the Levites, the, the priests are of this Levitical tribe. And why all this is important, because in a minute he's going to compare the priests of his day to Levi. And you, we instantly go, oh, Levi, Levi, son of Jacob. No, don't think Levi, because Levi was not that great a dude. Shocking. He picked a guy that wasn't that great. Um, it's all about God. Um, it's not him. It's that idyllic uh, type of person that the Levi represented. That's confusing. We're going to get back to it in just a minute. So what he says, now priests, he's still talking to the priests, okay? This command I give to you, 
If you will not listen, if you will not take to heart, give honor to my name. Remember how he ended one? For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. My name will be feared, feared, feared among the nations. Keep, keep that in mind because that's going to come up in just a minute. Take to heart and give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. Then I will send the, if you don't do this, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. The two blessings that the priests had or thought to have were the two things and they, they were linked together. The blessing was they administered for God with the people, okay? And then they got their portion from that, from the people, okay? God provided for them by those offerings that they, we just talked about, the offerings that were brought, okay? Not a burnt offering because that got fully consumed, but other offerings, sin offering, grain offering, that they would take a part of it. And that's how they'd live. And that's their blessing. Their blessing, they're blessed in what they do for God with the people, and they're blessed with what they get from God, from the people, and it's the same, same transaction. So when God says in one, oh, that there would be one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire and might offer in vain, in altar in vain. In other words, he's saying if somebody would shut the whole thing down, that would please me. Well, if he shuts the whole thing down, what happens to the priests? Yeah, they're in a world of hurt. Blessing one, they don't get to minister to the people because there is no sacrificial offerings. Blessing two, there's no sacrificial offering. There's no eating. So that's how he curses their blessings. If you don't change priests, if you don't make this the way it's supposed to be, your blessings will be cursed by me, Yahweh. And then he goes on. This is what I like. He says, and, and oh, by the way, indeed, I've already cursed them because you did not lay it to the heart. Because you didn't take it to heart. I've already done this. Oh, really? Yeah, you, you may have noticed. We're going to see that in a little bit. Three. Behold, I will, re I, I tell you, this is just, this is one of those great verses that if you get a visual on this, you kind of go, really? Behold, I will rebuke your offspring, okay, children, spread, spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Okay, so here comes the offering. As you can imagine, think of the, the, the temple, and especially at, at significant times, it's, it's like a slaughterhouse. I mean, it really is that's what it is. I mean, people get oh, freaked out when you say that. They go, what do you mean? You're, you're sacrificing hundreds of animals. I mean, think of it. I mean, there's, there's animals being weighted to be brought in, and so they, um, they have what we used to call byproducts or offal in the meatpacking plant industry when I was in, and they had to deal with that. One of that is, is dung, and one of it's the the uh, insides of the animal, if it isn't. And so that would all have to be taken outside because it's considered unclean. It would take outside the camp and dealt with, okay? So what God's saying he's going to do is take some of that dung and spread it on them, which would do what? 
it would make the priest unclean. So not only the priest couldn't administer his priestly duties, the priest would have to leave the whole camp. He couldn't even be part of the people. He'd have to be outside the camp when this was going on. So this went from, I lost my job, where I got to move out of state, now I got to move out of the country. It's pretty significant that God is saying to the priests. All because of this thing going on with the sacrifices. So shall you know that I sent this covenant to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, or this command to you, so that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Okay, this is Levi. The, the Levitical covenant that he talks about here, we really find a hard time finding it. That which I read in Deuteronomy is about as clear as we have as what you might consider a Levitical uh, covenant. And, and when he talks about Levi, he made no covenant with Levi. He's talking about the tribe. So when you hear Levi, don't think person, think of people group, and then soon think of ideal of what a priest should be. Okay? So he said, I made my covenant with him. And the covenant had two parts. He, God, provided what? Life and peace. What did Levi provide? Fear. Fear of God. Now, now go back to, to one last week. When they're offering blemished animals, animals that were taken in violence, in other words, hunted, uh, animals that were impure, animals that were taken in battle, all these animals that they weren't supposed to offer, how fearful were the priests of God? I mean, you know you're not supposed to do it. You know you're not supposed to do it, yet you do it. You either don't think what? You're going to get caught, or you have no fear of that entity that is going to administer the justice of this wrong that you're committing. And they can't have any fear. Now, now this is where this is one of those passages that it's so easy, and I understand it's so easy to go, well, Tom, this is fascinating. I find this very interesting. And maybe this has something to do and has something for you. But I'm so far from being a priest that it doesn't really matter. In fact, it's talking about priests and maybe pastors might be something like a priest today. But really, to me, it, 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 no, this might, as well, this might as well be in that addendum uh, at the end of the book. For those that this matters because it really doesn't matter to me. But that's never how it works. I guarantee you, these priests didn't wake up on a Friday morning and say, okay, this week we're going to go find every blemished, bad, inappropriate, sacrificial animal we can find to sacrifice. It doesn't work that way. How does it really work? Okay, you're all, okay, we're going to play role play. I'm going to play the 
priests, and, and we're going to talk about that in a second, but priests and pastors, pat, Protestant pastors, not the similarities you might think, though there are a few similarities. And you're the, you're the tribe of Judah, you know? And it's sacrifice time. And, and you all are bringing perfect animals because we've been keeping the law. We've just come back from exile. We're, we're so excited about the temple slash lean-to that we've correct. You know, this is a time of really a mediocre temple, okay? In the history of all templedoms, Zerubbabel's temples, and literally they call it the lean-to. So, but we have a temple where we didn't for a long time. We got walls around the, the city of Jerusalem. And you're all bringing your sacrifices, and I'm the priest. And here comes, oh, yeah, this is a beautiful lamb, nice goat. Oh, a bull, really nice young bull for a, a, a burnt offering. And, and here comes, a, you know, uh, some grain, and here's some drink and all that. And then one person, halfway through this, it shows up with, a, with a, a lamb with a broken leg. And I got to make a decision. I didn't ask him or her, it would have been him that day, to bring it. But do I reject it? So I say, um, any Harry's here? Good. Harry, what are you doing, man? You know I can't take this. This is not kosher. Okay, that's a side joke. Right. It's a little thin and deep, but it's there. Okay, so it's not kosher. I can't take this. And Harry says, oh, come on, man. Nobody's going to know the difference. It can generally walk. It just drags that fourth leg a little. Just take the sacrifice. Come on. All right, all right, come on, come on, come on. Let's just get this one done and nobody will notice. Harry's at the water cool the next week. <laughs> Somebody says, hey, what happened to that broken leg? I sacrificed it. What? You got away with that? Yeah. Guess what happens next week? I got four more broken-legged lambs. And you see what happens. Now, he's blaming the priest because the priest's role is to keep the purity, keep the righteousness flowing of the cultic or the sacrificial system. But the priest didn't just wake up and say, okay, everybody, get me broken-legged lambs. No. As I was saying earlier today, fast forward to today, show me a church that really goes astray on its doctrine well, it, it, it isn't like, you know, like a pastor by themselves took a congregation astray. Because if there's a, let's say there's a church of a thousand people. If those thousand people are versed in the word of God, I don't care what pastor you are, you're not going to get them to become heretics if they know the word of God. It's not going to happen. And if there's a thousand people and there's some of them that aren't good in their theology, but a real grounded pastor is going to keep them from. So it takes two to tangle. The congregation and the pastor, or in this case the priest, it's both of them working together that cause them to drift. It's usually pressure from the, the participants here, the tribe of Judah, 
today, the church, and a pastor that, or a priest that's unwilling to confront it or is corrupt themselves. So before we write off this whole section, you say, well, that's for priests. It doesn't, really, doesn't matter. doesn't count. Yeah, it does. Because we're in this together. It's critical that you know enough to call me question if I start teaching a theology that's incorrect, that's heretical. And so that, that's a critical part. Now we go on in six. We've been talking about one part of what the priest did. That's the sacrificial system. Now we're going to start talking about another part. True instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found in his lips. He's talking about Levi again, his, his model priest. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from iniquity. Oh, that's key. He stopped many who are starting to go down the wrong road and was able to turn them back. We find almost the same thought in James, so at least we think this is Old Testament, this is clearly New Testament too, of this ability of turning you know, somebody that's headed down a wrong path because that's part of that job. For the lips of the priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Well, let's stop there because he's going to tell them what they haven't been doing. Let's look at what the Levitical responsibilities are generally as seen. This is all the Levites. Safeguarding Yahweh's word, or the word of God. Now, at this time, we're not 100% sure how much we have. We certainly know we have the Pentateuch. But I don't think, we didn't have the book of Malachi when Malachi is being written, obviously. So how much we have. But the word of God. And that would have also been all prophetic. So the prophets to date. Teaching the law. Okay, they were to instruct the people on the law. Remind the people of the law. Law and ordinances. So the Mosaic law. And because a significant part of the Mosaic law is the civil law, they presided in judicial matters. So if you had a civil dispute, remember how this, this covenant society is, there are no other civil laws. They're all within the Mosaic law. So the Levi would administer the judicial judgment in that situation. And then for the priests, they also, they had all that. Plus, they accepted and offered sacrifices. I accept the sacrifice from you, and I offer it to God. So that's the, the responsibilities of the Levite. That's what they do. And so this instruction, if we look at it this way, one part is the whole cultic sacrifice thing. That's the, the animals and the grain and all that. The other side is then the, related to the law and the teaching of God and to instruct and to keep on track. And so there's two parts. And we've been talking about the animals. Now we're talking about the teaching and the law part. And they're supposed to always have the truth on their lips. They're always supposed to have the law as part of them. They should be able to, in the situation they're in, speak to people's lives. You know, they, don't, they didn't have so much sermons as we have. But they also lived with these people day in through day out. I mean, 
It isn't like I got you for an hour on Sunday and I got a 25-minute sermon and here it is and boom, that's my whole interaction with you and we're gone. They're in covenant, they're in relationship with them and they're supposed to be able to speak into their lives uh, every day as they run across them. But it only works, again, if they fear God more than they fear the people. Because if they fear the people, what happens? They're right. They're going to say, yeah, that sacrifice is okay. Yeah, it's okay that the law says that, I know. But if you bend that law a little bit, and that's what we're going to see in the second part of, of tonight. So, that's what they're supposed to do. Eight. But you have turned aside from the way. The way is the correctness of God. The way of God. You've turned aside from that. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. Oof. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instruction. Oh, so, so uh, Fred over here is, is just your basic average guy. So I'm telling him, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you got to bring the right, the right uh, sacrifice. But um, give me a good Jewish name over here. Uh, Abraham over here. Um, Abe, he's got a lot. And he can take care of me. So I'm kind of going, yeah, it's okay. Bring me a couple of flawed animals. And yeah, let's bend that rule over there. And so I'm not administering my responsibilities impartially. I'm partial in how I do that. And God finds that an affront. In fact, God would say, you don't fear me when you do that. You fear them, or more importantly, you only care about yourself. So in this whole part of instructing bad animals, and now I don't teach the law correctly, I don't fear you, I fear people more than I do you, and I'm out for my own gain. So other than that, I think I'm doing great as a priest. Then he goes on, he's going to change a little here in 10. And I always like the opening, in Malachi, the opening line is always the one that, uh, or the, in this case, three questions, always kind of starts it off. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Okay, we're not going, we're not talking creation here, right? Okay, we're talking about the tribe of Judah. You've got to remember the context we're talking in here. The tribe of Judah. Because remember in that opening two through six or two through five, he's saying, what do you mean I don't love you? Look at what I did to Esau. Of course I love you. So we're talking about the tribe. So they all had one father. Now whether that's God or Jacob or Abraham, potentially, we're, we're going to go with God. We have one father. He created us. And I, we're not talking about physical creation. Like, he created man. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking, he created the nation of Israel. Got to remember, he, it, the, he created that nation at the Exodus. They weren't even a people. And he made them a people. He made them a nation, made them Israelites, and brought them out. So he literally created them as a people group at that time. It's not that create, I mean, he did create them as he created all of us. But he's talking about the creation of this people group. And, and here, you got to remember, we always have to remember, he created those people. We're down to a tribe and a half out of 12 tribes. 
We got Judah. Half of Simeon got rolled into Judah. And we got a little Benjamin. Other than that, that's all we got left. That's it. You're talking about a remnant? This is the ultimate remnant. Everything else has been destroyed, dispersed, gone, wiped off the face of the earth, can't be discerned anymore. So we're down to that. And that's what he's talking about. So really, we all come together. We were created together. God made us a tribe. And he says in 11, Judah has been faithless and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves. And then we're supposed to ask, well, wait a minute. How, how did they do all this? And they've married the daughter of a foreign god. Okay, how do you do that? Okay, it's simple. It's really not that complex. So, they, you know, uh, Eric did a little bit of this last week. Ezra and Nehemiah, they're coming back. The people around them, you know, there's been a void as they've been in exile. There's other tribes all around them. So it, they've been marrying outside of the tribe of Judah. Well, what happens when you marry outside of the tribe of Judah? You get a wife, you get a culture, and you get a what? God's right. And how powerful is that? Incredibly powerful. Why is there one and a half tribes left? Because if you go back far enough into 1 Kings, yes, we are doing 1 and 2 Kings this fall. You're wondering when I was going to do the promo on that. To Solomon, because he really messed it up. And all his wives and all their gods, he's the poster child of what happens when you marry that way. That it just, it breaks covenant. So, the, the idea of how by marrying somebody outside the tribe of, of Judah, am I breaking covenant with you? Okay, Mark. We're all together again, right? We're the tribe of, what tribe are we again? Judah. What might you be originally from though, and you'd still be in this group? Oh, well, Levites. Oh, okay, that's tricky. All right. <laughs> that's true. There's some little, But of the other landed tribes, what might I be part of? Benjamin and half a... Right, right exactly. Very good. Half a semi. So Mark and I are, are, you know, part of this group. And Mark says, hey, what's a good Canaanite name? Ooh, I got nothing. Uh, I've been seeing this, this uh, woman, uh, this young lady, this Canaanite, Amorite, let's say, that lives down the road and around the bend. And, uh, and I've been seeing her, and, and you know, we're really getting along great, and, uh, and I think I'm going to marry her. And, and I say what? Because I'm just like everybody. I go, hey, that's great for you. You know, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that because I'm going to stay in Judah, but you got to do what's right for you. I almost want to throw up. Uh, you got to do what's right for you and fine, go, go marry her, right? What's the problem? She's going to bring Baal. She's going to bring Ashram back with her and, and Mark's going to try to stay in our community 
and he's going to try to bring her with, and all of a sudden, we got a Baal worshiper in our midst. Except it happens over and over and over and over and over. So we don't have like one. We have, depending on your count, hundreds of different people worshiping different gods. And so it gets to the point of Mark going, because Mark wants you know, peace in the household. So what does Mark do? He goes and worships at the temple. At the same time, he goes and worships Baal. At the, there's a lot of different ways. He could have gone to the high place, the ashram pole. He could have done a lot of places where he would have gone to worship uh, the fertility gods that those two were of Canaanite. So he goes there. So he's, he's doing both. And what harm is that? I'm worshiping God. What do you want from me, God? I'm worshiping you. I'm bringing sacrifices. In fact, since I married a uh, Canaanite person, Katie Caney, <laughs> wow, Caney, ever since I married her, I've now been bringing really good sacrifices because I know I might be just a little on the edge here. So I've been bringing really good sacrifices. So what do you want from me? Come on, I'm doing what you told me to do. Any problem with that? Wait, wait, wait. No, we got to say, do you see a problem with that? Yeah, right. Because I'm a what kind of God, he's, Yahweh says. Right, I'm a jealous God. You can have me and no one else, or you can't have me. So then Mark's got to do what? Decide. And I'm in covenant with Mark, so am I affected? Yeah. Completely affected. It's not okay what somebody else does if you're actually in a covenant relationship as a set of believers. Now, we're never going to be, you know, a Timberwood church is never going to be the tribe of Judah or the nation of Judah. It, we've, we've gone into the new covenant but still, it matters. I need to care about the spiritual health of a person that I'm in spiritual community with. So, in 12, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Judah any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to God of hosts. In other words, anybody that tries to bring to sacrifice while they've gone somewhere, his descendants are gone. He's going to be gone, but so will his descendants because I'm a jealous God and you're only going to have me or no one else. 13. And this second thing you do, I mean, you're sitting there, you go, okay, now I'm really winding up. Okay, and, and second what you do, don't you just sense that God and you're like, ooh. Okay, the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offerings or accepts it with favor from your hand. Do you get it? I mean, oh God, why have you forsaken me? I don't understand. Why are you letting this happen? Don't tell me you've never heard this. Where is God? Why is he letting this happen? But you say, 
why does he not? Why doesn't he listen to us? Well, partially because of all the things he's already talked about, but also because the Lord has witnessed between you and the wife of your youth to whom you've been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Do you not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their uh, union? What was the one God was seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. If the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. A couple things here. First, we all the time wonder why God seemingly is faithless to us when we've been completely faithless to him. I mean, it, it, I mean, let's be real. So much of what we do, we think somehow we don't deserve, yet when we look at the totality of our life, have we lived a life of fearing God? Have we really put God first? Have we put fear of God above all else? Have we died to self to the extent that we live only for him? And if we don't, then why are we surprised when everything doesn't go perfectly? That's the broader issue. What he's speaking to directly here is, is marriage. Now, he's talking about two, two parts, but it doesn't take a genius to put those two parts together, right? But let's deal with the two parts. First, we deal with the first part, marrying outside of the tribe of Judah. Second part, divorcing or being unfaithful to your wife that is inside of Judah. And the problem becomes this. The problem is how we look at marriage. Modern day, somehow we look at marriage as as two people that have somehow come together like this, okay? And there's a little intertwining, especially if they're children, but it's quite easy to go like this. It's not how God sees it. God sees it like this, sewn together by the Holy Spirit. And to take it apart is a violent act, which is painful and causes damage. Damage to each other, but also it's a covenant relationship, and God is part of it, so it also does damage to the relationship with God. And that's what he's saying. The violence that he talks about is that this union, this becoming one, dying to self, two being raised as one. Today we would say on Jesus Christ, there it was on Yahweh. That coming together is a union that is not just two people who happen to legally be married and cohabitating. It's two people that literally have come together. And to break that apart is an act of violence. That's what he's saying. And to do that with no acknowledgement of God in the process, well, what he says is a, becomes an act of faithlessness. Now, when you take those two and you put them together, 
what you get a picture of is, well, what you can imagine. Divorcing my Jewish, term's not there yet, it doesn't appear until the New Testament, but basically Jew just means Judah. My Jewish wife to marry a Canaanite or Amorite or a woman. So what, what Malachi's going is, again, remember what this is. Remember who these people are. They, it, millions got taken into exile. Okay? And, and he said what in Jeremiah 29, 11, 70 years from now, <laughs> I know the plans I have for you. You'll all be dead, but your offspring... Just keep that in mind as you claim that. And he brings them back. Now it's a small percentage. It's a small percentage that comes back. Remember, so many go away and only a few come back. So, so we want to believe that it's the zealot ones, the, the ones that really are, have a zeal for, for Yahweh that come back. And they come back and God does a miraculous thing by bringing them back and making a miraculous thing by getting the land, a miraculous thing that they have a temple. And, and I mean, there were, there were years where we see in the Psalms where they never thought this would ever happen, ever, ever, ever happen. And it's happened. And these few people, really, as a compare to the total, are the ones experiencing it. Yet they're, broken, they're bringing broken animals. And they're breaking the covenant relationship and doing what's wrong in the eyes of God. Now again, we don't know if Malachi is a name or a, t- or a, a title or a way of describing someone. I always like to just make it a name because then it, we can personalize it, but we have to acknowledge that. But Malachi, I mean, all prophets seem to be angry prophets, right? I mean, it just kind of comes with the territory. As I've been told, you seem like an angry pastor, Tom. Really? What do you mean? But Malachi seems like a specially angry prophet. You have to remind yourself, it's not Malachi, it's Yahweh. And, and, and Yahweh's got to just be at the end of his rope. And as we're going to see at the end, he really is kind of at the end of his rope. Because he's made these promises and he's done so much and yet these people will not, will not die to self and submit. And, and, And they're crying saying, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? I mean, Eric's, Eric's, point last week of, you know, the children. They're a great example. That's why I think, you know, uh, marriage, if you're married, is a powerful spiritual formation tool, and so is parenting. Doesn't mean you can't grow spiritually if you're not married and have no children, but to hear your child whine and then hear yourself in God's ear going, oh, why, why? It's a powerful reality. These people should be just so fearful, so zealot, so inspired to be models for what the world could be like for a community of people 
sold out to the sovereign God. All right. Grab a Bible, go into your discussion group. When we come back, we're going to talk about priests and pastors.